Hello and welcome to Property Mastermind Podcast, episode 75 with Bob and Hillary. The name change, it used to be just with Hillary, but we figured Bob's here every week too, so we might as well make it with both of us. And today, talking foundations, where everything begins with your property development. This is going to be a fabulous episode, and you're going to learn a lot about soil, soil testing, and the reasons that it has to happen. So let's jump on into episode 75. Welcome to episode 75. As I said, foundations, where everything begins. Welcome, Bob. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to be here. Talking about foundations. I know. This conversation started off at about 6am this morning in bed. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how tragic are we? Yeah, well, we often uh, come up with ideas when we just just thinking. have our morning chat. We, have it, we kick off the first meeting of the morning around 6am and, yep. and that's where this one came from. Yeah, it did, yeah. Foundations. Yeah. Well, it came from a chat I had well, with Chai a couple of days ago. Okay, yeah. And Chai said to me, just we're having a chat about the programs we offer, and she said, I love the podcast. And she said, I'd like to know one. We started talking about something she would like to know, and it evolved and became this. So she was the inspiration behind that. Oh, well, there you go. And Bob said, I don't know if we can make a topic out of that. And, I, and then I started asking more and more questions. And I thought, that's so interesting. <laughs> So it's always got a few stories about everything, haven't we? As yeah, well? you've got so many great stories. Yeah. Well, yes, and you too. I haven't really had time to congratulate you because you didn't get home till late last night from your Toastmasters. Uh, yet another, another winning speech. Another winning speech. Another 20, a twenty-minute, twenty-minute speech. Eh? It was a it was a influential motivational speech last night, and uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I was quite amazed because I saw you build a PowerPoint during the week. And During the week, I did it a couple of days well, before. Yeah, okay, a couple of days before, <laughs> without any practice. And I said, "How long is this supposed to go for?" And they said, "Well, ideally twenty minutes." And I said, "Well, have you, you know, tested yourself?" And uh, didn't. And then last night, how long did it take? Twenty minutes and twenty seconds. Twenty minutes and twenty seconds. Nailed it. And well done. Yeah. Okay. Well, the thing is with. I mean, generally Toastmasters speeches are only seven minutes because they take too long, but it's a level five. So when you're doing your big ones, oh. it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Anyway, this isn't about Toastmasters. No, it's not about but Toastmasters. But what, what the speech was about and the reason I can do it with my eyes closed is it's about what I talk about to people like you guys, to everyone, every one of my clients. Yep. I, I always speak on human behavior and self-belief and achieving and stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing that thing that you want. And I even had in it, you know, now working in property development, I mean, I've been a health coach because that was my journey. You start off where you want to learn and... So, you know, I'd lost 100 kilos. I began... Lost 100 kilos. I'm sorry. I weighed 100 <laughs> kilos. No. no I'd, what were I, you, I, I, I lost about 40 or 30-something. Tell but, me you were 150 kilos no, once or something. Oh, yeah. my goodness. No, I wasn't. That felt like it. But the thing is, it doesn't matter where you are on what journey, there is always that lack of confidence that stops you doing something. Hmm. And now it's with people like you listening to this podcast. So if you're listening right now, my tip for you is just... Believe that you can achieve it and start putting things in place so you do. Yep. Surround yourself with the right people. Listen to the way you talk to yourself. Replace the stories you tell yourself, which come in the form of reasons, which are really just excuses. Because we've all got excuses for everything we sure don't do. achieve. 
and and there's no reason that you can't start today. So, I mean, that's I can make 20 minutes out of that. And people were taking notes, and this young girl came <laughs> up afterwards. She goes, oh, my God, it's so good. And I thought, oh, that's all I want to do is inspire people to believe that they can achieve because you can. And we see it all the time. Oh. We see the results of that. It's not just some theories, you know, some la-la, you know, head stuff. Oh, I even know people listening right now think, yes. She's talking to me. Remember when I look down the camera at you and say, why not you? And I say that all the time. Why not you? It's just a choice. It's not you. Some, it'll be someone else. And that's exactly right. So, yes, that was a speech. But there's a little pep talk for you. <laughs> so if you're not achieving what you want, you have to sit down and think, what, what is it that I want? And then to take action toward it. Step outside of your comfort zone just a little bit at a time. Don't think of the big picture. Think of my next step. Oh, well, look, I didn't, I didn't realise what I was starting when I asked you that. Hey, but I know. There you are, off on your off on my, favourite subject. I'm just so passionate about people understanding what's possible. Yeah, I know. And you know the word impossible? You can really break that down to I'm possible. Yeah, just drop in a little apostrophe. There you go. I know. I remember my grammar. I know you're very good at grammar. Property <laughs> development and grammar. Yeah. Not cooking. Not cooking. Uh, okay. Can't be good at everything. No, you can't. Even one thing's, good. One thing's enough. Bob, foundations. Anyway, yep. the foundations where everything begins. Yeah, it does. Yeah, well, I mean, with our building, that's what we're talking about here. Whether it's, uh, yeah, it could be a house, could be something similar to a house, could be a duplex, could be some townhouses. Oh, we could get into some heavy stuff there when we get into apartments, commercial buildings, but it all starts there. Uh, and, of course, that's all part of the design. Mm. You know, it, it, it's the structural engineer who's the expert who does the design side of things. And in, in terms of foundations, it's, it's below the ground, mm. usually. can be on the ground, but often below the ground. And, you know, it can be a bit of an unknown. It can be a bit of a surprise. Sometimes as mm. well, what you find down there. And uh, so, yeah, it all starts off with, let's say, a simple project, duplex, couple of townhouses, whatever. It starts off with a soil test. That's what we need to do. Uh, so, yeah, But what is interesting on that one, I think, Bob, is that the soil test is done after a DA. So if you're buying a site with a DA already on it, it hasn't had that soil test. We'll come back to Probably that not, later. No. Let's park that thought and yeah. come back to it. Oh, no, well, I mean... No? Yeah, well, let's go there. You, okay. you, you've raised the subject. Open I, the door. I, I guess that's when do you do a soil test. Really, you can do one any time. I mean, you could do one before you even buy the site if you wanted to, uh, but normally... That's it, very early due diligence. You yeah, probably wouldn't. Not, not on something like no. some townhouses. On, on apartments, which we'll talk about uh, later. Yeah, maybe then. But, I mean, typically, what, what, what we need it for is when we're doing all the designs for our building permit. So this is after we've got a uh, development permit. Before we start the building permit, we need to get a soil test so that the structural engineer who's going to design things like footings and slabs and driveways uh, knows the, the soil conditions, the soil type. And uh, so that's, that's typically when we would do it, on, mm. on just on a small project. Yeah, so... I don't know if you've seen it done, but it's often done off the back of a four-wheel drive. There's plenty of people do soil tests. They're normally connected to a laboratory as well because that, that needs testing. So what, what would typically happen, you'd, you'd order a soil test, they'd go to site. It, it could be, and often is the case, that uh, there's a house there and we've got a tenant in there, so we might have settled on the property. We're getting, we've gotten our development permit. We now moved into our building permit. 
and there's tenants there, so we have to ask for permission. We've got to get uh, given 48 hours notice, whatever we need. It's usually done off the back of a four-wheel drive, so that they have an auger, you know, like a drill, mm. and they take a core sample of the soil so that they can go take that back, goes back to the laboratory, and they test it for soil types, moisture content, a whole heap of things. Well, just backing up from that, at mm. the moment with delays on things like there can be, like we're waiting on demolition, we're waiting on power to be disconnected, everything seems to have, mm. and I'm quite generalising, but things do tend to have a bit of a delay at the moment. Aren't there delays on soil testing, or is it well, pretty quick? It's, I, mean, I know it's not a long procedure. There have been delays on everything yeah. in recent times, although it is getting better. Mm. Uh, we just noticed, talking to the, to the demolisher, that we, uh, we demolished that property the other day, we had to wait 60 days for them to get to demolish it. I was talking to the demolisher and he said, oh, no, it's, uh, it's less than that now because there's a lot less building approvals going through it, which is great. I love it. Leaves more for the rest of us. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, it's tightened up a bit. So it's, prob- it's probably that way now, I think. That, uh, but, but as I said, because you can do it any time, uh, get in early mm. uh, so, you don't, so you're not delayed because you don't want to hold up the structural engineer at your building permit stage because you can't get a soil test for a month. And the turnaround on the test is usually about four days? Yeah, pretty quick normally. Yeah, not, not long at all. And so they go in to the site, they drill some holes, uh, often go down, you know, two, three metres. It's, it's about as far as they can go. And about four holes, Bob? Four is good for a four-pack on an 800-metre lot. Uh, and they do another thing called a penetrometer test, which is almost sounds primitive, Ooh. but... They have this uh, metal rod that they that they drive into the ground, and they work out how many how many wax, if you like, it takes before it stops going into the ground, and that's a bit. <laughs> of, it's a, wax it it sounds like a layman's way of doing soil test, penetrometer test. Yeah, penetrometer, and they whack it. <laughs> they whack it. There you go. So, but but where where you can get a little bit of an issue is, I mean, ideally they would do a, a couple of boreholes in the front yard, just near the house. And a couple in the backyard, but then when the house is there, they can't always get into the backyard, and so they're only testing part of the site, and not the other part of the site. So the, the obvious answer is, well, why don't we do it when we've demolished the house? Oh, I've got a good reason why. <laughs> Tell me. Well, you never want to demo the house unless you're sure the house ha- will be demoed, because you don't want to get a bad soil test and find out you can't build what you want and you need tenants. Yeah, well, that would be my, there's uh, all of that. Don't, yeah. don't demolish the house too early is the yeah. name of the game there. But, but like, we don't want to wait until we're ready to start building because we have to have all the building permits. It's, it's a horse and cart. Mm. So uh, unless you want to just demolish the house and leave it vacant for four months, five months, while you, you know, do all your design and pick a builder and everything, uh, just, just so you can test where the house is. Uh, I mean, you could come back. I've done that on the odd occasion. If they can only get two in the front uh, and, and we just... Like we'll still do the soil test and the engineer will design everything, but I uh, might go back and just do a quick a quick test. It's a pretty quick one, but normally normally not unless I'm really concerned about issues there. But where are these laboratories you speak of? I don't know. I've never been to one, but, <laughs> but they, they, are they like they're every, in a laboratory. Every city is it, are they just soil testing oh, they, laboratories? Yeah, they are. Yeah, and and NATA are accredited in ATA, and uh, don't ask me what it means because I've forgotten. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they're, they're accredited laboratories that, that analyse the soil, come up with soil types, uh, moisture content, all that sort of thing, because soils vary a lot, mm. and that has an impact on the design. Mm. I mean, you know, you, you could be in a coastal area close to the beach. It's a lot of sand. You know, think of the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast areas. 
uh, lots of sand. Well, sand sand's a pretty good foundation, really. Uh, it's pretty stable. It doesn't swell up when it's wet. Uh, but then you've got clay. Oh, clay. That swells, hey? It does swell a lot when it's wet. And, and that can you know, potentially cause cracking. So clay generally they'll build on uh, above, not flat. Well, so yeah, just different foundations, yeah. uh, different depths. Uh, without getting too technical on a slab, uh, yeah, how deep and how wide and how many of things yes. uh, would have a lot to do with the, you know, it's something like a, what they call a highly reactive soil. There's highly reactive soils as well. So, so they, they sound like me. What are they so, about? <laughs> soils have got all sorts of classification. Highly reactive means that it, you know, typically moves a lot and expands a lot. It, it reacts to conditions. It reacts to moisture. It, it reacts to dry. Some of these highly reactive soils they swell when they're wet and they contract a lot when they when they're dry and they and they crack open. And so when you've got a slab and footings and everything on that, it has to be designed to cope. And it can be. Bob, is that quite a? Sh- if we look at Australia as a as a ground, is there more of one type in one area and more of another type, or is it yeah. quite sort of varied everywhere oh, you go? It, it can, well, it can vary, but but like I said, you know, coastal. Like I, I lived on the Gold Coast for for some years, many years ago, and a lot of it, you know, in that first kilometre or so, was just sand. You know, you know, it was going to be sand. Mm. Uh, doing, well, you know, done a lot of projects in Brisbane, of course, uh, cl- quite a lot of clay in Brisbane mm-hmm. as well. And there's another thing called schist, and uh, I think I yes I did pronounce that correctly. Schist. 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 Uh, it's <laughs> it's a very crumbly, soft sort of rock, and and I used to come across that a lot as well. Uh, so yeah, it's soil types. I mean, sometimes you get a pretty good indication of of what the soil type is because somebody's just developed next door, and. Uh, if you know who that structural engineer is next door, you can you can ask them, well, what was the soil test like next door, you know? But you can't guarantee that because no. there's also that uh, sometimes you get those random rocks. What are they called? Oh, floaters. Floaters, yeah. You yeah. floaters. Yeah, I've come across that often in uh, volcanic-type soils. So this is where there's been volcanoes in the past. And, you know, even where we live, you know, at the back of where we live, there, there's ex should we call them ex-volcanoes or volcanoes from a long time ago? Uh, but when you get that red soil, you know, you often get that crumbly red soil in those volcanic areas. You often get floaters. And they're big, round rocks uh, that just randomly scattered through the soil. And you could easily do four boreholes on an 800-metre lot and miss them. But then when you go to dig the footings, if you're digging footings, uh, you can you can pick them up. And, look, it's not that big a deal, but... The thing is, when you remove a rock, when you're digging, say, a trench footing, strip footing, and you hit a rock and you have to dig the rock out, uh, you're left with quite a large hole, and really all you can do is fill it with concrete. Now, it's not hardly worth boxing it, and so you end up you know, pouring more concrete. So, yeah, all sorts of things, but, but rock, uh, and oh, I suppose another thing is fill. Oh, not, not yes. your friend Phil. No, no, not not our mate Phil. You're talking yeah. to Phil today, actually. Bob. I am talking to Phil. You today. are talking to Phil. Different Phil. Different Phil. This is well when they bring soil and materials in to fill fill low land, that can create some issues. What about? Didn't you do? You did that seventeen lot. It's seventeen townhouses. Yeah, seventeen townhouses, and what were the words you said to me? Oh yeah, when I you said that's not the way God makes land because no. it, it was a, it was a up platform down yeah. that was the, the vacant land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a road, and 
probably 30 or 4 metres away from that was a creek, at, at a lower, you know, it's probably 3 metres below the road. But when the went from the edge of the creek, the land sort of came up on an angle and went absolutely billiard table flat <laughs> all the way to the road. And, and I said, yeah, that's not the way God makes land. <laughs> yeah, that's and That was obviously man-made land, that. And, and to me, I could tell straight away it was filled. It was too perfect. The thing with Phil, though, that when something has been filled, you don't know it's been compacted properly. And there's quite a bit to compacting soil, isn't there? It's not just yeah. – they don't just roll over it with your average garden roller <laughs> or get the old plate compactor out and compact oh, it. Oh, plate compactor. You've, done it. You've, you've laid plenty of pavers. I have. I have oh, 23 Reno's bowl. I've done my fair share you, of plate compacting. Yeah, you have. Um, but that for when we're talking large-scale mm. compacting – how often would you see that, or is it if you see some man-made? If, if, you, if you see some, mm. yeah, what what are the chances of it being done properly? Oh, probably low. Yeah, because is I'm, it expensive? It can be. So, so with fill, you've got oh, basically two types. To keep it simple, you've got consolidated fill mm-hmm. and unconsolidated. So, unconsolidated fill is just where people have dumped soil. Let's say dumped soil there, and it could be any form of soil. Uh, and, and no compaction's ever been done. So it'll naturally settle, but not to a high compaction. If it was you know, dumped in the last five years, it's probably quite loose. If it was dumped 40 years ago, it may have settled, but it still won't have a high compaction. And uh, so if you're at filling uh, something properly and you intend building on it, you normally uh, lay... Well, first we've got to choose the right sort of fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that comes in all sorts of grades. Not not topsoil generally doesn't. Topsoil doesn't act as a good filler. It's just for putting your veggies in. Yeah, you, know, you might use some form of gravel. They they rate it on C, you know, CB thirty different types of, of gravel that compacts the different compaction. You often see that under roads. Uh, so you choose the correct fill anyway, at least something that will compact. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be rolled in layers. It has to be tested, and that's that's filling properly. Uh, but this one you mentioned, the 17 townhouse side, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could tell straight away that it was uh, fill and probably not consolidated. Uh, but I did dig deeper because it actually had a a development permit on it. Right. And I knew that. And But in a development permit, you don't have to test the soil. It's not a condition that council needs to know the soil. But as I spoke to the agent further, I realised that the person I bought it off, it was a development company, had gone further and they'd actually done soil tests, and as a result, the engineer had, had done some of the preliminary foundation design. So, so and sure enough, uh, it was filled and not particularly consolidated. So, yeah, that and what it, what it meant is that the strip footings that the slab sits on, uh, they had to have piers, you know, like holes bored underneath them with uh, reinforcing in them, and it had to go down to natural ground. And natural ground was between about 900 mil and uh, 1800 mil below the surface level. So, in other words, the fill was between 900 and 1800 deep. And so, every roughly 1800, with our strip footings, we had to drill one of these piers down into natural ground, about 300 mil in the natural ground, pour concrete in it, and then you build the you build the footings on top. So, really, what it means is the footings are supported by natural ground. The fill really is, is just more like formwork. Mm. It really doesn't offer anything to support the slab or the footings. Bob, just something you said there, which I think it's off topic but interesting for developers, whether you're brand new 
or or how far you are on your journey. You mentioned you were talking to who was the person you were talking to that had told you that the person who got the development approval had already done a bit of work on yeah, it. Who so, was that person? So I brought that through an agent. Right. An agent bought me the site, and uh, at, at first he just said, "Oh, it's got a development permit." So I went out and had a look at the site, and uh, had a walk over and worked out it was Phil. And then I said, "Well, can you send me?" everything you got on the development permit and he did and he said oh actually in the meantime i found out they they've advanced it further and they're part of their way through the building permit and so they did get a soil test and they did have the structural engineer design which i found quite handy i knew pretty much in my mind what would have to be done but it was it was handy to have that design because then i could uh, talk to a couple of builders i know and get an idea of how much extra that would cost having to put about a, I can't remember if it was 130 or 180 piers uh, into the ground. It wasn't a horrendous, uh, but it was a, a cost that was worth putting in to my feasibility. Oh, yes. And I suppose, and it easily absorbed over 17 townhouses. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it didn't. Well, yeah, you're right, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, sounds like you were there. Yeah, well, well, I've been there. I've been to, the, I've been have, to that yeah, site. I've been to the finished product, yeah. I have. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a bit about Phil. You know, uh, not the guy Bob's talking to today. No, no, no. no the the one the you need the right sort of soil. You and do it needs to be compact. But properly. I think my my tip there is that, or the point I was raising was that was the real estate agent that told you that. Mm. And would your Joe average or good general real estate agent think to say that? Or well, I, I think he, he he was happy to tell me that it had advanced part of the way through the building permit because, in his mind. The, the more information he could give me, the, the more comfortable I'd feel, the more likely I am to buy it, the more likely he is to get a commission, I guess, yes. if you think about it. But mm. um, I bought that off another developer. And uh, so very early in the piece, I actually, uh, the agent was quite okay with it. He knew me. Uh, I sat down with that developer who had the site and we went through a lot of stuff together uh, because I had to negotiate it. They, they wanted too much for it and I had to find reasons to pull the price down. Which I did. Well, well done, well done, Bob. Thank you. But then I suppose that what you're saying that you had to find reasons and the real reasons, logical reasons, to make the deal work. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. yeah. So uh, I mean, that's it's not too too difficult with small projects like you know some two story townhouses, but because when you get into apartments and basements, it can be a whole different story. Interesting, you said at the start that you to get a, a development approval or development certificate, whatever, wherever you are, to get that, you don't actually have to do a soil test. So if mm. you're buying a site that perhaps is larger and has underground car parking, that could be quite scary, really. Well, I'd made that, and I have made that part of my due diligence. Okay. So if I was going to do a bigger project where I wanted to do a basement, uh, I, I would get the soil tested as part of my due diligence. And it's a bigger job. When you're getting a soil test done on something like townhouses, you know, they, they just test about you know, yeah. two and a half metres down, which is way more than your foundations, mm. and pretty easily done off the back of a four-wheel drive with an auger. When you're talking about basements, you're talking about boreholes that are five, six metres deep. You've got to bring big machinery in for that. You have to bring a much bigger mach- machine in than a four-wheel drive. It, it, and, you know, there's machines that do that. It's really what you'd more call geotechnical testing than you would a soil test. And, uh, and they, they have to do 
obviously more holes, deeper holes with this big machine, which can be a problem if you've got houses there, uh, but often worth it. Uh, to because it, are they go to the same lab, same place to well, for a do, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they ultimately end up at the same laboratories uh, because what they we're still testing soils, so, yep. soil types. But because you're digging deeper, potentially you can strike more problems, mm. and that's the that's the issue there. I remember you pointing out uh, we used to live quite central in Brisbane, right mm. in the city there, and there were a few apartments going up, buildings around us, mm. and they, they were going so deep. And I remember you saying there could be problems here because of the we were so close to the river because we're yeah. quite central in the city. So, and it's generally affected quite a lot by if you're near water, isn't it? Yeah, it if you're is. going underground. Yeah, well, I it, mean, it sounds obvious, but it really yeah. is. And, and I'm sure it's happened around Sydney Harbour with some of the big commercial buildings and residential buildings near the harbour, and certainly in Brisbane. Uh, where I've done a lot of projects near the river. I mean, we lived on the river ourselves. Uh, we saw new buildings going up. Water, water penetration can be a huge problem and it can be solved. Uh, I mean, you can just about solve any issue with engineering, but... It's costly, that's it, all. It can be very costly. Yep. Uh, and uh, I know, I can remember some of the big buildings being built in Brisbane where the basements go down nine levels. Holy And uh, that is below the... Way below. It's like halfway Bris- to China. Brisbane River <laughs> water level, yeah. And so, but but that depends a bit on how far back from the river they are and the type of foundation. Like if it's rock, uh, sure, certainly it's hard to dig rock, but it also uh, helps water not to penetrate. Mm. But uh, yeah, look, water and rock are your two enemies when you when you're uh, building basements. And uh, I mentioned to you a, a site I saw once when I was working for. a major development company. We were in Canberra looking at a site for a commercial building. Mm. It already had a development permit and it required uh, two levels of basement. And uh, I thought, well, that's... Remember, it only had a development permit, so nobody ever really had to do uh, proper geotechnical testing Mm. as part of that permit. Mm. At the next stage, your building permit, yeah, sure, that's when you have to get it tested. And so I thought, well, you know, like two levels is pretty deep. Like you're down six metres. Uh, and then your foundations go down even further below that, mm. probably you're eight metres down. And uh, so I made some inquiries to, to some structural engineers on you, uh, and there had been a couple of new buildings in that area. And what I found out was there was a water table uh, just over three metres below surface level. So you could get by with building a single level basement, but that, that extra level would have been an enormous problem, mm. you know, having to dewater. That uh, that is that is that. Hang on, is that right terminology? Do you dewater something? Yeah, you do dewater a site. You dewater. It can be expensive uh, as well to to achieve that. Mm. And the engineer said, "Look, that just the soil type. Everything is against doing that second one. It, it's okay to design something. Building it can be another matter." Mm. And so I, I immediately steered away from that. And uh, just another quick story, I guess, about rock. It, how it can work in your favour. Can tell us. I don't know the story. Oh, well, here's a new tell, one. For tell you. me a new one. I've got a few stories, of you course. You do. So, uh, this is a, a project we did probably eight years ago, and it was four levels of apartments with a semi basement underneath. What I mean by semi basement, yeah. the land sloped downwards from the road. So, at the road, we dug down three meters, uh, but at the back of the block, because the slope uh, it sloped down, we, we hardly had much of a dig at all. Mm. So sort of like digging half a basement, if you like. 
And we did the normal geotechnical test. It came up. There was just some very loose, what that schist sort of rock that I talked about before, which is fine. Soft stuff. Easy to break up. Just a normal excavator would break that up easily. You don't need rock breakers or anything. And uh, But when we got to the very front where we had to go down three metres, uh, we, we hit some bluestone. And bluestone, if anybody will tell you, there's plenty of it in, uh, in South Australia and different places, it is extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can break a rock breaker on bluestone. And, uh, and How do they deal with it, Bob? Well, it was a, it was, there was a, a shelf of it. And it was about 30 centimetres above what, where we would want the, the top of the slab in the basement. But then we had to go down deeper for the foundations. And uh, so I got, the, I, I got the excavator. Well, the builder was on site. The builder's building. And, I, and, and he rang me up and he said, oh, God, we've hit bluestone down here. And we didn't know. And uh, so I went out to site and had a look. And I could see there was quite a shelf along the front. And I said, Let, let's, get the, uh, let's get the structural engineer out because, like, bluestone is... It would be extensive, expensive and extensive. And he came out and he said, look, we're putting 30 MPA concrete in the footings. That's a test of strength. That's quite strong concrete. Bluestone's about 130 MPA. He said that that bluestone is so much stronger than the concrete that we're going to pour. So, so the designs, you know, we could have dug out the footings somehow out put, of the bluestone. And put something a little bit inferior in place. And put in inferior concrete. Yes. So he said, what we'll do, we'll have to somehow get the top 30 mil off, which was okay. We got a quite a large rock breaker in and chipped off that top 30 mil. But all the rest of it, the footings uh, and the pads under the columns, he said, what we'll do, we'll just chemset them off. And so basically we just chemset Rio into the bluestone. Hang on, chemset Rio. What even does that mean? Chemset. Oh, re- I don't re- know. Rio is the re- there's the steel the reinforcing. Yeah, yeah, I get Rio, but what's chemset? Oh, chemsetting is a way of where you connect uh, hard surfaces like slabs or slabs to rock or slabs right, to slabs. Right, got you. There is a lot of people listening now thinking, yeah, "Thank so God she asked that question." Yeah, it wasn't too hard. <laughs> well, we managed to drill some holes in the bluestone. It's a lot easier to drill it than to you know get dig it out of the ground. Yeah, uh, and then some Rios get chemically set in there it's a mm-hmm. very very strong arrow we call it an arrow but it's way stronger uh, and that and that then locks the reinforcing into the rock then we pour concrete on top of that uh, and then that same reinforcing locks in the in the slab so the slab's locked into the bluestone and as it turned out it did cost me a bit extra of course to chip the top of the bluestone to dig some holes in for chem setting uh, but it was it, it worked out cheaper than if we hadn't even hit it because of all the extra concrete that we saved, we saved a lot of concrete uh, by not having to, to dig and, and Rio and yeah, everything. So we saved, a, it wasn't a lot we saved, but we accidentally saved a bit of money. Whereas at first when the builder rang up and said, oh my God, we've hit bluestone, you know, I thought, oh, geez, here we go. This will be expensive. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's not always the, it's not always the evil we think. No. So, so we're going to wind this up, Bob, but I suppose for, for more people on their first couple of developments hmm. or even you know haven't done too many what would be a takeaway on foundations or on soil testing what would be your best tip on that oh look if it's um if it's just like houses or small townhouses uh the the foundations aren't deep in fact these days a lot of some builders use waffle pods which are actually where the slabs build on ground and you're not really penetrating the ground much at all uh so not not normally a problem, although soil types will have an effect. They 
you know, they might cost you another, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars per per building if, you know, maybe up to ten, if the soil type's really ugly. Mm. Uh, but it's when you're doing basements, when you're going deep, that you know. It's really important. It's very important. That should become part of your due diligence because of, you know, potentially what can happen. You could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars extra on, on, a ba- on a basement just because of different soil types. And that's not even talking about hitting rock. That's just soil types. Well, great. Thank you for sharing. Great stories, Bob. Okay. And really, I find that, that topic so interesting. <laughs> when, you, when you mentioned it, I thought, oh, why people get bored of hearing about that no, stuff? No, that's – well, it's just so interesting because we often know something has to happen, but you've given us a bit more of why or, and understanding what actually does happen, which I think it's useful well, oh, as for someone like myself. Oh, well, it's glad just, you enjoyed it, and I hope all, all you there enjoy it as well. All those out there. Yeah. And while we're on soil testing, while we're on foundations, Mm -hmm. Just a reminder that uh, we are launching, we have launched, a new mentoring program. If you're interested in getting into property development, check out our website, which is uh, still under the old website. It is in construction mode, but you won't know that yet. It'll just pop up new one of these days. But we have got a new mentoring program available. So we have our our big mentoring program and we have a, another one you might want to hear about so mm-hmm. if you're interested in learning about more that'll set it, your foundations right absolutely because it's about setting the foundations and I said absolutely crime sorry oh, for all those that know that it's that's off our list but if you are interested in learning how to do property development well hmm. and do it properly with someone learning from an expert who has done it, uh, who can do it with his eyes closed and asleep, what this man doesn't That's know. That's what I dream about. <laughs> That's all you ever talk I about. I crunch numbers <laughs> in my dreams. So, yeah, if you are interested, give me a call or jump onto our website, propertymastermind.com.au. But I hope you found that. It's the only one to do. I know. We've got plenty of those testimonials. <laughs> all righty. Well, we will catch you next week. Ah. Did we give away the book yet? I don't think you have. Well, I forgot to give away the book. Let's come back one. Episode 75 book goes to Graham. Graham, we had a bit of a chitty chat via email this week. Graham Mangs, I'm not sure how you pronounce your last name. Bob and I have it. M-A-N-G-E-S. We couldn't work it out. Our apologies. Your apology. My apology. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah. But anyway, this book is in the post for you. You said you were doing a bit of property development reading. So I thought, well, this is the book you need to read. It's a good one. Head to page 121. That's all about development. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the episode and we will catch you again next week. Bye. Bye.